Hello, everyone. I am Natasha Ryan, and this is the North Group's podcast, Time to Head North. I am their VP of Communications, former news anchor, which is why I host this podcast to get information out there, have great conversations with folks in our sector, the security industry. And today I'm delighted to have Michael Hill with me. Michael, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Well, it's it's snowy still in uh, the Pacific Northwest at the time of the same, same here here in Minnesota. Minnesota gets way more snow than us, but you know. I think it's negative thirteen right now. So it feels like negative thirty-one. Oh, I can't. I can't even. I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not good in that kind of weather. I don't. I don't do well. Uh, okay, I want you to give a little bit of background, please, for our listeners. Tell us what you got into back in the day and what you're up to now. Yeah, so I joined the Army um, in 2004. I was in a uh, Long Range Reconnaissance uh, uh, unit and ended up going active duty as an infantryman um, in 2006 and uh, was in 1st Cavalry Division and uh, went to Iraq a couple times. Um, completed my service and then I went into the private sector. Um, doing anything from uh, high threat protection all the way to executive protection to running a private island to um you know traveling the world and uh most recently i uh, joined up with some buddies and uh, we went to ukraine and uh we were in ukraine for about six six and a half seven months um doing all kinds of different stuff, which I'm sure you want to talk about. That is what I want to talk about. That That is definitely what I want to talk about, Michael. So, you know, and looking at your, you know, resume, LinkedIn background, I mean, you really have done it all. I mean, it's impressive how many companies you've worked for, how, how many things you're a part of, your flags for a veteran foundation. I mean, all, I, all of it is fantastic. Thank you for your service, first and foremost. I appreciate it. Yep. Um, so let's get into the current. Cl- First of all, when people say, what is Ukraine like? How would you describe it? Had you been there prior to going over there to do what we're about to talk about? Or, or I had not. No. OK, so you didn't see the before package of Ukraine. How would you know you've been to you did two tours to Iraq, Iraq. How would you how would you describe the the state of Ukraine right now? Um, it's beautiful. You know, Ukraine is, uh, I think, the second largest country in, in Europe. Um, and a lot of people think, you know, they're at war and it's it's right there up in your face. Um, you know, to, to get to Ukraine, you can't fly directly there. You have to go to Poland and then right. make your way across. Um, and, you know, to go all the way to the east, to the front, it takes anywhere from 16 to 18 hours. Um, Ukraine's a beautiful place. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life. Um, it was very green. Um, a lot of uh, farmlands, a lot of uh, sunflowers. Um, it's, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, the Ukrainian people are absolutely amazing. Um, some of the most patriotic people I've ever met in my life. Um, uh, very humble um, and very, um, how would you say, uh, very, very appreciative to have 
people there to help them. That's that's great. And and that's good to paint that picture, right? It's not just a walking war zone everywhere you go in in Ukraine. Right. But specifically areas that were um what were you doing in those areas? Let's just go ahead and jump into it. Why why were you over there? So initially uh some buddies and I joined up and joined together and uh went to help with uh, another buddy's family who uh, actually lived in Kiev uh, when the invasion kicked off in February of last year. Um, initially, we went in to do extractions and get people out of harm's way um, as the Russians were closing in on, on Kiev. Um, through that, we developed a relationship um, with some individuals inside of the government and the Ukrainian government and um, did some intel collection for them. Um, also helped with some extractions of their family and stuff. Um, and that led into us being invited to, to, to train some of their special operations, some of their specialty units that, that uh, they were using for um, special missions. Mm -hmm. um, so we did that for, I don't know, uh, a couple months. And then we actually started embedding with these units and running operations with them. Um, and eventually, uh, went all in and, and became a Ukrainian special operations, uh, operator. So what was it like being an American embedded in the Ukrainian special forces groups? Um, it was a, a reality check, um, you know, because the type of warfare that's going on over there is not, it's not like Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, it's a, it's a conventional war. It's a conventional army. And, um, and I, I think the best way to describe it is, uh, it's, it's like a hundred years of warfare rolled into one. I mean, you've got trenches, you've got, you know, artillery, tanks, landmines, um, force on force infantry. I mean, it's, 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 it was crazy. <laughs> Were you, um, do you think it was for lack of better word, scarier being in Ukraine in those moments or back in Iraq? I'd definitely say, uh, Ukraine, <laughs> um, you know, the intensity was, was way more than what, what I experienced in Iraq. Um, the other side was that we didn't have the support and logistics um, like we had in Iraq or like we have in the American military. Um, you know, medevac and, and, and casualty care is, is nowhere near uh, what it would be like in, in Iraq or Afghanistan. You're not calling a, a helicopter to come get you and, you know, you may make it to the the hospital in an hour or so, but it's by it's you got to get out on foot and then it, you get to a car and then a car takes you to the hospital. Um, so we relied heavily on our medics, um, our field medicine, um, supply the supply chain. I mean, it, it's it's nowhere near what we had in the American military. I mean, again, you know. Um, the Ukrainian military, there's a lot of awesome people, but you know, it, they're, 
they're not as equipped as the American military. So um, you deal with issues such as, you know, the logistical problems and not having the equipment, not having the supply chain, not having the, the medevac stuff. So it was a lot more challenging. I would imagine that not knowing where the next thing you need or when it's going to come, if it's going to come, and then there's no one to call to rescue you is quite, um, quite terrifying in moments. I, yeah. I guess. And, and on top of it, I mean, you know, the, I mean, I, the world hasn't seen this kind of warfare since world war two. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount of artillery and, you know, tanks, uh, just it, it, you were going up against a lot, a lot of stuff that, you know, we haven't seen since World War II. Were you trained and ready for any of this or was this all kind of learn as you go? Um, you know, back when I was a young soldier, you know, they taught us the basics and, and it really, the basics like hand and arm signals or, you know, just planning operations and stuff like that. I mean, just those that was used more, um, in this. And I can't say that. No, I don't, I don't think that I was fully prepared and trained for what I was going, I went into. Um, but the basics that I was taught, um, somewhat prepared me. Um, it's, it's, it went back to more of a primitive style of, yeah. uh, of being an infantryman because, you know, on top of all the, the tanks, artillery and all that stuff, you know, you're dealing with electronic warfare and they're, they're jamming systems they're jamming your radios. Um, so, I mean, honestly, like using hand and arm signals was, was <laughs> really all we had. I mean, you know we're very spoiled in the U.S. military because we have all the best equipment in the world, you know? Um, but you remove that equipment and you still got to be able to operate. And, you know, that's what we did. So I went to the premiere of a documentary on the conflict years ago where, mm-hmm. you know, the streets of Ukraine were filled with citizens that held their ground. And, for months in bitter cold temperatures, they did not relent. And I remember thinking in that moment, I don't know if Americans would do that. You know, I don't know if they would stand in, or would they go home or would they stand in the streets in the freezing cold? And I, and I started to question, you know, the different levels of patriotism. And I just, I just wonder, I mean, do you think it, it's primitive. That's how what I'm envisioning, right? Is is how you're describing this is is an exact word for this. Do you think the younger American soldiers could handle this type of warfare if we had to go and do this? I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you should take take a look back at 9/11 and how how the country came together and yeah, uh, how we we fought two wars. Um, we we have one of the greatest militaries in the world. Um, I absolutely think that that if if the time came and if it it happened that yeah we would adapt um would there be some learning moments of course yeah um and as far as as americans taking to the streets i mean if our country was invaded i, I absolutely believe that everybody would stand up to defend our country 
Um, we live in the greatest country in the world. Um, and the Ukrainians are a lot like the Americans and, and have a lot of the same values. Um, so, I mean, and that's largely why I've, I've supported them as much as I have. I, I feel that emotional parallel when I talk to my Ukrainian friends. Like I, I hear you and what you're saying. I guess the obvious question is you don't have to embed. You're not a part of their country and their army officially. What drives you to fight side by side with their soldiers? Freedom. Um, you know, we're very fortunate here in the United States to have the freedoms that we do. Um, you know, obviously our country has been at odds and you know, it's divided and we've had our political issues and, and social justice issues and all this other stuff. But um, at the end of the day, we still live in, in the greatest country in the world. Um, as far as, as being drawn to, to help in Ukraine, um, you know, like I said, one, freedom. Um, two, um, what the Russians are doing is wrong. Um, you know, I've seen the, the atrocities that they've committed. Um, it's, <laughs> you take a look at a kid that has lost everything, lost their parents. It's a refugee now and has no idea where they're going and has no idea what's going on in the world. And somebody's got to stand for that. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough that that I'm capable enough and have the skills to to be of assistance. And, you know, it's it's my duty to do that. And you being over there, are you ever worried that you won't come home to your family, friends over here? Every day, um, you know, it was I went over initially uh, planning on staying a month and helping with the refugees. And, um, you know, and I ended up going down the rabbit hole and staying for you know, six and a half, seven months. And uh, as it got more intense, there was there was quite a few times that uh, um, I didn't think I was making it back. And uh, oddly enough, I'm sitting here talking to you and. I got, I'm packing up to, to head back over and I was going through some of my bags and stuff last night and <laughs> a piece of shrapnel that, uh, that was embedded in a tree right that went in right above my head. Um, I had it sitting here. So, yeah, I mean, tell that story, tell that story. I've heard it at IPSB, but tell the story about the shrapnel. Um, so we, uh, we, retook a village um and during that you know we assaulted the village and everything and um we had some adjacent units that were supporting us that were going to reinforce us well our uh, we were the main effort went in we took the village um at some point the other units started taking casualties so they pulled out and they left us um in the village so all their artillery and everything turned on us um we had the russians come in and and probe um our unit on the northern side and or actually the the southeastern side excuse me um they returned fire and then we had a drone come in and as we were running across the the road and, and through a uh 
I guess it was, there was a house and it was, you know, a piece of property or whatever. It was an open area. Um, they started to turn all that stuff on us. And so some of the guys were able to get up underneath a, a lean-to and take cover so the drone couldn't see them. I, unfortunately, got caught underneath a tree. Um, and they started walking the rounds in on us. And uh, the last one that hit, um, that's where that shrapnel came from, it hit really, really close. And uh, and uh, that, that piece of shrapnel fell down right in front of me or whatever. And I picked it up and there was a house probably about 15 meters from where I was at. Um, so at this point, you know, I, I felt like the next one was probably going to be way too close. Yeah. So, um, I actually just grabbed that piece of shrapnel and threw it in my pocket. And then I jumped up and ran, um, and jumped through a window into the house, um, got into the house and, uh, was hoping to go down to a basement, <laughs> but I think I picked the only house in that village that didn't have a basement. Um, <laughs> So, you know, as I went through the house, I found a, it was like a pantry. Um, it had uh, cement walls. And uh, so I got in there and laid down and piled a bunch of stuff on top of me and just waited. Um, and I think it went on for about four or five hours. They hit us consistently. Um, I don't know that they actually saw me get up and run and jump into the house, which, I mean, I think if they did, they would have hit the house. But um, yeah they hit all around the house. They never hit the house. Um, Why do you think that is? They didn't just hit the house too. I, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I guess the man upstairs was looking out for me. <laughs> I was going to say, wasn't there a component where you believe faith intervened? Didn't you see something in the house? Uh, yeah. So when, when they finally stopped and we were able to um, pull back and, and regroup, um, on the way out the door, there was a little picture of, uh, of Jesus. And actually, I think I've got it. I do have it. Good. I want to see that. I mean, this is like a, a plot in a movie, you know. You I know, right? Intervention. Seriously. So, yeah, here it is. This was, this was over the top of the door. Oh, wow. And so on my way out, you know, I saw it and I reached up and I grabbed it and took it with me because, you know, I definitely felt like somebody was looking out for me and uh, was taking care of me. But, um, yeah, so you we actually we regrouped and uh, we actually ended up having to pull out of the village because, you know, they, they turned everything on it and just started leveling it. So um, we didn't have any support and no reinforcements. So we made the call and pulled back. Um, and then were there civilians still in that village? Or had there they were, no. um, not many. Um, and we think the ones that were there, we're, we're not actually hundred percent sure that they were from there or whether they were Russians dressed in, in civilian clothes. Okay. Um, you know, the ones that we ran into, you know, it's kind of odd that when we ran into them shortly after that, they started hitting us with artillery again. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's no way to hundred percent tell, but, um, yeah, didn't, didn't see any, uh, didn't see any women or children. So in those moments where you have to decide, 
actually, I want to pause that because I want to come back to the the component of faith. When you're in these life and death situations and you are thinking, I may, this may be it for me. Do you, what does it mean? You know, you took the shrapnel, you took the picture of Jesus. How, how do those things that you take with you help you in those moments of, of trauma or crisis? You know, I, the shrapnel, I don't know, like that, that was just like, I don't know. It was like, a, sorry, my computer is doing something. No, you're fine. Um, you know, with the shrapnel, that was more of like a souvenir. It's like, well, that, that was pretty damn close. Uh, you know, so with that one, like I, I grabbed it. Part of a story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but with, I mean, I literally was, I, I was shook to my core like that, that I really thought that was the day, you know, I didn't think I was coming back after that one. Um, yeah, that last round hit and, and, and the shrapnel went in to the tree or whatever, um, or hit the tree. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I can remember laying there on the ground and tucking and the bad thing is you can hear them coming and as it's coming up, I remember I just I tensed up, put my head in the dirt. And I mean, I didn't have any cover or anything. The only thing I had was the, the tree tree trunk, and that wasn't much. Um, but I can remember asking, you know, praying to God, just saying, hey, you know, I didn't say goodbye to my family. At least let me say goodbye one more time. Um, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time, you know, just everything kind of rushes in. Um, in a brief second and it's like your life flashes before your eyes. So I, I, I forgot what the question was now. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You've got me in tears over here. Um, so when you're in the, you know, when you're in the house, why take the picture of Jesus with you? How does it help you? Uh, yeah. So when I left, I mean, you know, the, the part that I did leave out, you know, I said, you know, when I went on for four or five hours, um, I was absolutely exhausted. And at that point, um, that was kind of the first time I had a chance to rest. I mean, I've been running from house to house. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Your body um, needed rest. So I actually, I actually fell asleep while I was in there. And, um, you know, I, I slept. I, I have no idea how long I slept, but I remember, uh, you know, I, I came to because I heard somebody coming in the door and there again, like I had no idea who it was. Um, and, you know, I've got my rifle trained to the door and, you know, I hear, hear an American, somebody in English say, hey, hey, Mike, Mike, you all right? And, you know, that was, you know, I'm a very tense moment and, you know, let out my breath and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And, uh, you know, get up and, you know, it was one of my other buddies that was out there with me. Um, but we go out and we go in, it was like a little, I guess you call it like a four year or whatever. Yeah. Or a mud room. Um, and you know, we're kind of talking about a plan on where we're headed and what we're going to do and all that stuff. And, you know, I just, I looked up and I saw that and, you know, I looked around to where all these rounds had impacted and, you know, I mean, I couldn't think, but 
there's nothing I could think, but you know, somebody was protecting me. And yeah. I felt like that was just a, a way of him showing us or showing me that, that he was there. Yeah. And, you know, taking it, um, you know, that house was completely destroyed. It's not like, um, they're not returning. Right. Nah. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it was meant for me to see, you know, and yeah. you know, I, I took it and I put it in my pocket and I carried it in my shoulder for the rest of the time I was in Ukraine. Um, but I, I just felt like it was a sign. It was, it was meant for me to see. Yeah, no doubt. 100% agree. Um, glad you had that. Glad you had that protection uh, with you. Uh, going back to something you said, you said they, you, you didn't know if they were civilians or Russians dressed as civilians, you know, to, to outsiders uh, that don't have the military or service experience, explain what that's like to, you know, how do you weed through the deception? I mean, how do you know the person you're going to help actually needs your help and doesn't have a gun under it and is going to shoot you and they're, they're a, a faux civilian? Yeah, it's, it's very challenging. That's something that the U.S. military has, has dealt with um, a lot over the past 20 years. Right. Iraq and Afghanistan is yep. the civilians on the battlefield and, and, and combatants dressed in plain clothes and blending in. Um you know, obviously you take your precautions, but we didn't go into that village just to, to kill everything, you know. Um, yeah. We went into the village to to take it back, you know. So obviously, you know, there was uh, protocols and things that we followed when we came into contact with civilians um, on the battlefield that, you know, we would have to follow to make sure that they don't have any weapons or they're not strapped to blow up, which you know, suicide bombing and all that stuff hasn't been really a big issue in, in my experience over there. Um, so we're not dealing with the, the suicide vest and right. all that stuff like we did in right. Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, but, I mean, you pretty much, you know, make sure they're clear and then you send them in a safe direction and, <laughs> you know, just hope that they aren't. You know, if you don't have a way to prove it, then, you know, yeah. it's yeah. not like we could just take you know, tie them up or whatever and, and hang on to them because we had no idea and we didn't have the time to go through and figure out whether they were civilians or not. And, you know, typically in, in some other incidences, we would clear them and then send them to a, a uh, checkpoint where they would be further um, investigated. But in, this, in that instance, we didn't. Um, just because of the speed that we were moving at. You're about to go back over there. Um, we'll get into that mission of what you're doing. Are you afraid to go back over? Um, but, you know, there's always a level of fear that when you go in, go into something like this, that, you know, um, is going to scare you or, you know, you won't come back home or, but, you know, yeah. If, if I wasn't scared, I'd, I'd, I'd be a little bit more concerned. Um, and I'm leaving after Christmas and, um, and I was fortunate enough to get to spend some time with my family and stuff um, before the holidays. And, um, but with the current climate, um, <laughs> political climate and the physical climate, <laughs> um, 
both are are a little a little scary because you know President Biden and uh, President Zelensky met yesterday, and um, the U.S. is is vowed to to supply more weapons and and um, the missile system. Yeah, yeah. Missile, the Patriot missile system and more money, more you know support and all this and. You know, Russia has said that, you know, if we were to do that, then, you know, they're going to escalate, which, I mean, I foresee they probably are going to escalate. Right now, they've been using, you know, the cold weather as a, as a weapon and taking out the power grid and um, taking out uh, heat sources and stuff like that. So, it's pretty much just been trying to freeze out the Ukrainians. Um, and, I mean, uh, you know, they they've taken some heavy losses um during the fall and or the end of the summer and into the fall and, and now into the winter you know we've taken back Kherson, um harkiv uh you know there's a lot of stuff going on down in the donbas right now um and the russians are i feel regrouping um and could possibly be doing a, a counterattack in the next few months if not, they'll wait till the spring. But um, I definitely think we'll see some retaliation um, due to the meeting yesterday. So um, in the back of my head, I am I'm a little bit nervous about this trip. Um, you know, I don't plan to stay as long this time. And, and my role this time is is more of a humanitarian role. Yeah. What are you doing over there? So I've, I've partnered with a um, nonprofit called Letters of Hope for Ukraine. Um, I would met them and they helped with some transportation and some other stuff while I was there the first time. And they are going over to uh, spread Christmas cheer, um, taking donations and, and clothes and power banks and uh, generators and all kinds of stuff. And, and we're going to go to different areas and, and distribute that stuff um, and try and make um, some of these people's Christmas a little bit better than what it would be. Um, I think I'm actually going to, I'm going to be playing uh, old St. Nick on this trip. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Uh, We need to, we need to spray paint your beard white. That's all. Yeah. There's a few, there's a few of them in there. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, going there on the humanitarian side, um, how does that change your perception of what it's going to look like for you this time around? Um, it, I feel like it, you know, it's going to reinforce um, the why and why I did what I did before, and you know why I will continue to, to, to support moving forward. Um, I only again, I only plan on staying a month. Um, but if something were to happen, then I obviously would probably stay longer. I was going to say famous last words. I'll check in, I'll check in on you in a month and see. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really want to stick to that, but the the need, I mean, it's there's just so much that, that needs to be done and that can be done. And um, it's, it's once you're there and you're in it, it's hard to 
you know, time flies because, you know, you're running 90 miles an hour every day and you're yeah. going through all this stuff. And, you know, it's, it's time flies by quick and, you know, it's, it's hard to pull back once you're there because you keep seeing the needs and you keep, you know, you keep wanting to help, um, which is, you know, obviously why I'm, I'm returning. Um, Do you think that want to help and the desire to fight for freedom, do you think that's something that is inherent in a person or do you think that can be learned? Um, that's, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, I think, you know, obviously it's not something that's inherent because not everybody knows what freedom is. Um, so I think it is something that's learned. Um, for me, um, service to others has been a big part of my life, um, especially when I got out of the military. Um, I got into doing uh, disaster relief, volunteering for disaster relief, and um, just being able to help people that, that they'll never know your name or, um, you know, may never even see you again. Um, but to be there in their moment of need, uh, in their worst times, and to be able to 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 help them and 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 show them that there is hope in the world that that they're not alone, um, to me, is one of the most gratifying things in the world. Um, you know, it's service to others is just. I mean, it's it's not something that's natural i think it's something that's taught um and it's not for everybody but i think it, it when it comes down to it people are going to do what they need to do um in their time of need i always feel this pull to you know in in situations like this how how can i help how can i contribute you know to, to helping people in these these horrific situations like when i lay my head down and I pray for my own kids. I think about the kids in war zones and I'm like, I mean, how as a mom could I even begin to help in those situations? And I know that it's, you know, there's some areas I literally can do nothing other than pray. But for Americans listening to this, um, you know, you've been over there, you've seen the needs. What can the, just the average American civilian do if they wanted help out? So, I mean, one thing is to be, is being aware, um, is, is spreading the word and, and, uh, you know, supporting these people just by passing on their, their stories. Um, you know, the other thing is, is monetary contributions. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are volunteering their time. There's a lot of organizations that are volunteering, um, taking donations. Uh, when I originally started out, um, a lot of my trip was, or still is, self-funded. Um, I started a GoFundMe, um, and I'm actually in the process of taking that GoFundMe and creating a nonprofit um, that would would move move forward. Moving forward would not only just pertain to Ukraine, but any kind of natural disaster or conflict or anything of that nature um, that would it would work towards the humanitarian side um, of the house. 
Um, so obviously, I mean, monetary donations to, to organizations, um, mine is, has been called, I've been calling it operation hold fast. Um, we've got an Instagram, um, we've got the GoFundMe. uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on getting all the social media stuff together because uh, right. it's not my forte, but, um, not just mine though, but I mean, there's, there's tons of organizations and, and, and all I'll say about that is, is that, um, if you are going to make monetary contributions, um, take a look into these organizations and make sure that, you know, you're, you're donating to a good cause and this money is going to, um, that cause because there's a lot of organizations that they're taking this as an opportunity to make money. Right. Um, you know, make sure not, it's legit. Yeah, exactly. So, a hundred percent of the donations that I've received have gone, you know, to our mission, um, yeah. to our teams, um, to our, the families that we've, we've been helping. Um, and that's been one of the biggest issues is, you know, how do you do this and how do you pay for it? Um, so there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of, of people that, that can help, but, um, you can't just do it for free. Um, yeah. you, know, you, have to, you have to have a lot of, you have to have travel, you know, you have to have supplies. I mean, all that stuff exists. And, and unfortunately, I mean, it, and I hate doing it, but we have to ask for donations and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it. Um, and for people that, that, you know, don't have backgrounds such as mine or the people that I work with, like, you know, it's all right to make those monetary contributions. Um, you know, there's, there's also organizations that, that pay for people to come over and, and work with them. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, organizations in Poland that, uh, you know, I met people that would, would come over for a few weeks and, and, and work at like a soup kitchen or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you can donate old coats and, and blankets and, and stuff like that. Um, there's there's a lot that that people can do without actually having to go there. Well, thanks for all of that. I uh, that information, and I'm happy to help you with your social media. That's something I can help with. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, from a political, you know, you the United States standpoint, uh, do you think what should we be doing? What have we done right, and what have we gotten wrong with aid to Ukraine? You know, I mean, obviously, uh, politics isn't my uh, my thing. You know, I'm not an expert in any of that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of strategic um, issues that, that that the people that are making those decisions have to deal with and think about. Um, what I will say is that um, I think it's very much worth our while to continue to support the Ukrainian people, um, not only because it's the right thing to do, but because um, their threat is our threat. Um, if we allow Russia to, to go in and do this and sit back, um, it's going to put us in an even worse position. Um, you know, I don't think Russia anticipated uh, the Ukrainians being able to stand up and, and defend their, their country the way that they have. And I think mm -hmm. they, they went in there thinking that um, this would be over in a, in a week or so. Yeah. Um, and that didn't happen. 
Um, I also don't think that Russia thought that um, the world would come together the way it has to support uh, Ukraine. I mean, and and NATO has gained two more allies, uh, you know. So, um, I forgot what we were talking about. Just what you think the U.S. has gotten right with aid and and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a process. And, and that, that's the frustrating thing is that, you know, there's a lot of bureaucracy. There's a lot of red tape. Um, it, it takes time. You know, there's concerns about what weapons we give them when we give them. I mean, so it would be nice to see it come faster. Yeah. Because the need is immediate. Um, you know, I've heard I've heard people say, oh, well, it's a corrupt country and people are selling it on the black market and all that stuff. And, you know, is there a possibility that stuff's going on? Yeah, maybe so, but it's very few and far between um, because they can't afford to lose that stuff. That stuff has to be used. Um, You know, maybe somebody's making, I mean, obviously somebody's making a profit on it, but um, you know, they wholeheartedly need that, equipment that ammunition it's it's not just going there to sit around like it's right. being used yeah um so for one i think it's a it's a great thing that we're opening up the patriot systems um and pushing those in there because you know as of you know the past few months uh drawn attacks and 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 missiles and and uh that such stuff is, is what Russia has been using um, to attack deep within Ukraine. So, yeah, I mean, I think we should fully support them and, and continue that support um, and open it up and make it faster for them to get this equipment. Sure, sure. Is there anything you want Americans to understand or know that you think maybe they're missing the picture or, you know, in, in closing, is there anything you would say to someone listening? Like, look, I've been there. This is what I want you to understand and have compassion for. Yeah. I mean, one of the frustrating things about coming back was, you know, for one, it's not in the media as much as it was when it first happened. Um, You know, people are dying every day, every minute. Um, and they're not, you know, these are people that, that weren't even soldiers before February, you know, their country was invaded. So they joined the army or they were, they were, you know, required to join the army. Um, a lot of the media attention that I've seen has been politicized. Um, you know, one side of the aisle pointing the finger at the other side of the aisle Yep. My people saying that there's corruption, there's this money laundering and all this other stuff. Um, you know, I think one of the, the worst things about our country is how political it's gotten. Um, you know, at the end of the day, innocent people are dying and another country, a much larger country, with a much larger army invaded this country and committed atrocities. And they're continuing to commit atrocities. And it's important that we as Americans who stand for freedom, support and defend another, uh, an 
a country that's 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 fighting for their independence and, and fighting for their freedom or not yeah. fighting for their independence but fighting for their freedom right um and fighting for their land i mean if if somebody was to come into america and invade and take over you know one of our states i'm pretty sure that we as americans would would want to fight back and take our territory back because that's ours right um and I, I think it's important to not get lost into the politics um, and and to keep the true meaning of, of what we're doing there and, and what's going on there and defend it. I mean, it's freedom. And I think, you know, the point that we keep coming back to, you know, Steve and, and everyone at the North Group is if you let this happen, right, when does it stop? Where, exactly. where does Russia go next, right? So that's why it's everybody's problem. Right. Exactly. Is where does it stop? Yeah, I mean, if if we allow Russia to continue what they're doing, you know, what what country's next? And <clears throat> you can de definitely feel that um, in the neighboring countries to Ukraine. I mean, you know, you've got Poland that's that's yep. tripled the size of their military um, since all this started. You know, all the NATO countries over there are stand they stand ready because you know they could be next right. um you know we're very we're very fortunate as americans to be far removed from the battlefields you know we were but to be in europe and be right next door like that's not that far you know that's like driving across the country or um not even driving across the country but driving a few states over i mean yeah <clears throat> it's, it's close it's, it's very real for them Right. And also on top of that, you know, the 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 burden of the refugees and stuff that are coming out of Ukraine is a lot heavier on the Europeans because it's right there. That's um, a lot of resources that now have exactly. to be provided for a lot more people. So I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a problem not just for Ukraine, but it's a problem for everybody. And you know, we have to support them and we have to do what's right. Old Saint Mike. I, I don't know you, about all that. I wish you all the best in this next trip. We will certainly pray for you. And, you know, just one more question. I hope that that picture of Jesus is going back on your shoulder. Most definitely will be. <laughs> I think my I'll be theme, hearing that for the rest of my life. <laughs> I, I love to hear that. Um, thank you so much for everything you're doing. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, again, just God be with you and thank everyone you. over there. So thanks to all of you for listening. You can catch more of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or you can watch them on our website at tngdefense.com. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Mike. We'll see you soon. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.